0: Well, let's take our Bibles this evening and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number three. And it's been some time since we have been in uh, 1 Corinthians. We've uh, had uh, a few diversions, of course, with our graduate service and uh, uh, different things that have arisen on Sunday evenings as of late. Uh, But now we come back to 1 Corinthians chapter number three. You will remember that... Uh, It was the Apostle Paul who went to Corinth and began to preach the gospel there. A church sprang forth from his evangelistic efforts, his missionary efforts. And uh, there was great opposition, of course, but God continued to bless. They were uh, kicked out of uh, the synagogue. And so the church moved next door to a house that was next to the synagogue and the church began to flourish and grow. The Apostle Paul had a ministry there for 18 months, uh, which was a a very long duration in his ministry, staying in one place. And God used him greatly, and this church sprang forth. Uh, We know that the city of Corinth was a wicked city, and uh, not much unlike the culture in which we live today, filled with immorality and idolatry and the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and as he writes to them of course he is dealing with the division that has been the main main theme or the major theme of what we have looked at thus far is the division that was within the church and the root cause of that division was their affinity toward uh, different personalities. Some said, I am of Apollos, others said, I am of Paul, and others who said, I am of Cephas or of Peter. And so the people began to be divided by their loyalty to individuals. The Apostle Paul, who's been dealing with that, is speaking to them concerning this division, that it was a characteristic of their pride, it was a characteristic of their carnality, and he is writing to bring them back to the centrality of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When last we looked at chapter 3, we looked at verses 1 through 9, and this thought, are ye not yet carnal? Because of the divisions among them, it revealed their carnality, that is, their dependence upon the natural mind, and we are constantly as believers in a battle, a struggle between the law of the Spirit and the law of the flesh. The law of the flesh uh, brings our mind into carnality and thinking according to the flesh and the things of this world. The apostle Paul is trying to direct them, as he writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to think spiritually, to think biblically and truthfully. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 10, we find that he is continuing along this theme. And to help illustrate this truth, he draws a picture to help them understand uh, the church and the way that God views the church. Notice, if you will, we'll back up and look at verse 9. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry. And he's used that picture in the previous verses to explain that one sows, and one waters, another reaps but they are all sharing in the labor, uh, the individuals. And so therefore, they're working for one common purpose, and they should not be divided. Then he says in verse number 9, at the conclusion of verse 9, "Ye are God's building. And then we pick up in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come All are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. I want us to pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us by his spirit. Father in heaven, we pray as we come to your word that you would enable us in these moments to receive your truth and to learn it, to apply it to our lives and as we think of that moment of judgment that all of us will stand before you and give an account for the deeds done in our bodies, with the opportunity that you've given us in these days, I pray that the solemnity of that moment will stir our hearts, that we'll be awakened that we as a church and individually as believers will stand before you and give an account. So I pray that you would help us to learn with that in mind, with that awaiting us, that we would labor here faithfully, fervently for you in the power of your spirit, that you would cleanse us from sin, that you would awaken us, Lord, to your work and what you're doing, that you would deliver us from ourself and our selfish attitudes, that we might devote ourselves to you and to your service to bring glory and honor to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here the Apostle Paul gives us the picture of a building that is being built, a construction project, and, and uh, he is using that imagery to help them understand uh, the purpose of the church and how that they are to labor in the church, and how that they are to protect the church. So the title of the message this evening is The Builders and the Building. The Builders and the Building. The building is the church. We understand that the true builder of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The wonderful thing about the ministry of the church is that we, uh, as the redeemed of God, saved sinners, uh, have entered into a partnership with the Lord Jesus, and he allows us to labor with him and to labor in things that bring eternal dividends and rewards. What a privilege it is for us to be engaged in the eternal work of God, to have the opportunity to invest in the eternal work of God, to be able to dwell in the context of the church, the building of God, and enjoy the blessings and the benefits of the church. I want us to note a a few things this evening. Number one, we'll see the foundation of the building. Secondly, we'll see the examination of the building. And then finally, uh, we'll note the occupation of the building. Well, let's begin where all buildings begin, with the foundation. Uh, We note here in verse number 10, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So here we have the foundation of the building. And what is the foundation Of the building the foundation of the church it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself the foundation of this church the foundation of every Bible believing Bible preaching church every true church in the world that church is built upon the foundation of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter number two Ephesians chapter number two the Apostle Paul speaking to these believers at Ephesus who were once strangers and aliens from the Lord, have now been received into the family of God and made heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. They become fellow citizens with the saints. And we pick up in verse number 19 in that truth, and the apostle Paul writes, and he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, And of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we find the picture of the building used here again in the book of Ephesians concerning the church. It is pictured as a building. And what is the foundation? The foundation is that of Jesus Christ himself. He is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was very important. It needed to be straight. It needed to have uh, the, the the linear integrity that the building would be preserved by and helped to. and And it needed to be a stone that all the other stones could be joined to and by nature of joining those stones to the foundation to the chief cornerstone then the other stones that would be joined to those stones that had already been joined to Christ would be kept in line and be a part of the structure the Lord Jesus Christ has given him is given to us his word the Word of God is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ All that he wants us to know of himself and of ourselves and how we can know him and how we are to please him and what plans he has for us, all that he has for us and all that he reveals to us is revealed to us in the pages of God's word. And so the church is built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles and the prophets delivered to us the message of the Lord Jesus Christ they, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have recorded for us the very thoughts, the very words that reveal to us the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though they were the human penman, he is the author. Amen. And the author has revealed to us his mind. So the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the foundation of the church and the lives of believers is the truth of Christ the word of God we are built upon that foundation the Apostle Paul speaking of the church said in 1st Timothy 3 and verse 15 that it is the pillar and ground of the truth the church is here built upon the truth proclaiming the truth to a lost and dying world so we understand the foundation of the building is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the truth of his word now, the founder of the Corinthian church, in this instance, is the Apostle Paul. Uh, we understand that it was Paul who came to Corinth and proclaimed the message of the gospel. And in verse number 10, he's, as he is writing to them, he said, I uh, was uh, given the grace of God. He said, the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Uh, the word architect derives from this term. The Apostle Paul said, "I want you to know that I came to Corinth and proclaimed the message of Christ, and many were saved, and we began to uh, function as a church according to the truth of God's word. What does an architect do? He designs the building. He he lays out the plans, and he tells the builders and those who are helping him." Uh, to build according to the plan. The Lord Jesus Christ revealed to the Apostle Paul uh, the mysteries of the church. And the Apostle Paul reveals to us, as he is inspired by God to record these words, he reveals to us the mysteries of the gospel of Christ and of the church. And so as the church moves forward, we understand that we have a set of blueprints. We have a plan. And that plan has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ... Through the ministry of his apostles. And so the founder of the church is speaking. Now it's important that we understand who he is because his apostleship is under attack in 1 Corinthians. Uh, He is being attacked and being discounted, and many others are beginning to follow different personalities. And this, of course, is a dangerous path for the church to go down because it depends upon the personality what is taught. And Paul is trying to direct them not to the personality but to the person of Christ. But he reminds them that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who equipped him, who revealed the truth to him, and who sent him to Corinth this is important for them to know because this letter the authority of this letter depends upon the authenticity of his apostleship and so he is writing to them he says I have received the grace of God it is not because of who I am the Apostle Paul says it is because of the grace of God in my life remember Paul's former vocation he was a Pharisee he was putting Christians to death persecuting them zealously but on the road to Damascus the light shined upon him and he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus and he put his faith in Christ and became a tool of the Lord Jesus Christ and so the founder is speaking and what is he saying the church is not built upon personalities the church is built upon a person the God-man and his body of truth. But then we see the framers of the church. We've seen the, found, the, the founder, but then we note the framers here. We're still looking at the foundation of the building. He says here uh, in, uh, in this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 10, but let every man take heed. How he buildeth thereupon. upon now as i mentioned a moment ago they're divided by personalities right apollos peter perhaps there were others that would come in later the apostle paul knew this would be true and would assume the roles of leadership within the church so in this context he is speaking specifically to those men but generally he's speaking to all of the church but let every man he says take heed how he buildeth thereupon. In other words, if you're going to come and work on this construction site, if you're going to serve the Lord in the context of the local church, and by the way, that is the way you do serve the Lord, in the context and in the framework of the local New Testament church. If you're going to serve the Lord, then you need to be careful how you build. You need to take heed... To what you're doing and you need to pay close attention to the plans that the master architect has given and those plans are clearly laid out in the Word of God and so he's speaking here to the framers now uh, AT Robertson commenting on this phrase take heed how he buildeth thereon writes this he says the carpenters have need of caution how they carry out the plans of the original architect. Successive architects of great cathedrals carry on through centuries the original design. The result becomes the wonder of succeeding generations. And then he says this, There is no room for individual caprice in the superstructure. In other words, there's no room for an individual to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I think it would be neat if we did this. Or maybe it would be really cool if we did this. And instead of following the architect's blueprint, those who come behind the architect would say, well, you know, I think we need to add a little generational flair. We need to do a little bit of fanciful work here. And do you know, in this generation... We have seen many who have decided to tinker with the church as if it's some little experiment for them to toy with, and great damage has been done to the church when people begin to tinker. You see, the church does not change based upon the culture. The truth of the church, the truth of the foundation of the church is eternal, It is timeless and it changes not and we must adhere to the timeless truths of the Word of God we are not to tinker with it now there may be methods uh, that might uh, change or means of at times that may change of course Uh, it was scandalous when the first uh, organ was introduced into the church and now if you took one out it would be a scandal right There are different preferential things that people hold to and embrace. But what we must understand is God is not speaking about those things. He is speaking about the essential truth of his word. And we must not depart from the essential truth of his word. And we must be careful as we build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ that we build in a manner that is consistent with what he has revealed to us. And so there are questions that we must ask ourselves as we build. Are we building in a manner that is true to the foundation? And are we building exclusively upon the right foundation? Uh, remember what he says here in, in, verse number, in verse number 10, or verse 11 rather. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, there's a great temptation in the hour in which we live to to adapt to the demands of the culture. We hear so much about science in our age. Science. You have to believe the science. Well, when the science is used to contradict the truth of the Word of God, we as the church do not change what we believe the Word of God teaches. We do not try to adjust our message to make it more palatable to science, we, we do not deny that there is a creator who spoke this universe into existence. We do not deny that he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. We do not deny that so that we can be received by the world. We do not adjust our message to uh, uh, adapt to the philosophies of this age or to the political whims and fancies of this age. And just this week we saw... Uh, a video clip of a, of a student in Texas who was a valedictorian of her class, and uh, she changed her uh, speech, her commencement speech, to address the subject of an abortion and to speak with passion about uh, the need for her to have the right to put a child to death in her womb. And she was applauded by the world. And I am going to say that while the world applauds the Lord's heart is broken and God has revealed his truth and we don't we don't change what we believe about gender about sexuality about morality and marriage and we we do not change who we are to to fit the whims and fancies of this world and we must be careful that we're building exclusively upon the right foundation and I want you to know that within the context of the church at large In our nation, we're seeing a great divide, a growing chasm between those who will remain faithful to the scripture and the word of God, and those who will capitulate to the spirit of this age. It's becoming clearer and clearer every day. We must ask ourselves, are we building on the right foundation? It's important for the framers to consider that question concerning the foundation we must follow the plans of the architect and not deviate from them because one day there would come someone into Corinth who would introduce doctrine contrary to that which Paul had taught them and that which Christ had revealed through Paul we see secondly not only here the foundation of the building but secondly the examination of the building you see the building, the structure that is being created here in Hickory, North Carolina, will one day face inspection. And the inspector is the Lord Jesus Christ. As individual believers, we also will face a time of inspection where we are examined by the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse number 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Now, let's look at that phrase, every man's work shall be made manifest. You know, it may not be and most likely is not always clearly apparent in our day exactly what the quality of the workmanship that we do it may not be clear to others. Some may think that we're doing a good work, some may be enamored as maybe they were with Apollos by his eloquence to say, "Man, I'll tell you what, that guy, he's really got it. He's, he's doing something great. Or Peter by his boldness. Let me tell you that Peter, I, I like to hear him. I mean, it's amazing what he's done for the Lord or, or by Paul and, and his wisdom and his knowledge, though he had stammering speech. I said, I want to tell you that Paul, he can really get it done. But the truth of the matter is that no one knows our hearts, our motives. No one knows exactly if we're working in the power and the energy of the Spirit of God or if we can labor in our flesh at times but God does know. And he said, there is coming a day when the church will come before me and I will examine it. I will examine the building. I will examine the builders. Every man's work shall be made manifest. He says, for the day shall declare it. What day is he speaking of? He's speaking of the day of judgment, the day of judgment. He says, the day shall declare it. It may, as I said a moment ago, may not be readily apparent to us today. That's why there's great danger in us making a judgment concerning the work of others. Romans 14 warns us of that. But the day shall declare it. Now, John Phillips, speaking of this, says the word for declare here means to make plain or to signify Then he writes, how many issues there are that will be made plain enough at the judgment seat of Christ? We can think of such things as unconfessed sin. Well, we could stop right there, couldn't we? Unconfessed sin. That'll be made plain. Wrong influence. Ruined lives. Wasted time and talents squandered opportunities neglect of spiritual things indifference to God's word and God's will prayerlessness worldliness and carnality all such things will be reviewed in the presence of the Lord who bought us with his own blood how ashamed we shall be of all such things. I'll tell you, it's a terribly convicting paragraph to read because as I'm reading it, I'm thinking about my own situation. I remember as a young person, I was engaged in something that I should not have been engaged in. And the person who was with me is a young person as well and said, you know we're going to stand before god and give an account for this it's amazing how that we're aware of this to a greater degree oftentimes in our youth than we are as adults as we grow older and we become more indifferent we just seem to make that an inconvenient truth for us so we put it on the back burner I remember those words that were spoken to me that day. I've never forgotten them. We're gonna stand before God. I didn't wanna hear those words at that moment, but I heard them. We've grown terribly insensitive, haven't we? To the word of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how those words ringing in our hearts would direct us in our energies and our entertainments and our conversations and our investments. We're going to stand before the Lord. The day shall declare it. It shall be revealed by fire. This is the fire of God's holy judgment. It will reveal the nature of the work that has been done. Now, we cannot confuse this with the judgment of sinners because this is not the judgment of sinners. It is the judgment of the saints. You and I who know the Lord Jesus will not be judged for our sins. The Lord Jesus bore the judgment of our sins upon the cross of Calvary. Praise be to God. As Adrian Rogers used to say, if I had to pay for one half of one sin, I'd die and go to hell for all eternity. I'm glad that he paid for all my sin. So I'm not going to be judged for my sin, but I will be judged for my service. The judgment of sinners will take place at the great white throne judgment. After the millennium and prior to the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, the Lord will judge the dead those who denied him, those who rejected him, and they will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. That's the great white throne judgment, the judgment of sinners. The judgment of the saints in this age during our time is happening concerning our sonship. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5 tells us that the Lord chastens his children. He deals with us as sons. He does so to correct us. And he is judging us while we live our lives today. But the judgment that is being referred to here in 1 Corinthians chapter number three is the judgment seat of Christ. It is a future judgment. Paul wrote of it in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10. He said, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Oh, why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All Christians will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us. He said, well, you know, I, I don't really like to, I don't like to stand up in front of the church. and I, I don't like to be called out individually. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I want you to know that whether you like it or not, that day is coming. And we need to prepare for that day. It's examination day. Uh, When I was in school at the University of Tennessee, I worked the midnight sort at United Parcel Service. And so I would get off at 2.33 in the morning and oftentimes had to be at class at 7.50. you can imagine that I missed a few classes. I remember I I took a speech class. It was a pretty easy class. I had an A in speech, but my teacher gave me a C because I missed so many classes. I wasn't happy about that. But I valued my sleep more than I did my grade, I guess. But I keep having this dream, and here I am now, 52 years old. I've been out of college for 30 years nearly. And I keep having this dream that it's test day. I wake up in my dream, not literally, but in my dream. I wake up and I realize that I have a test and I haven't studied the subject at all. And it's just a terrifying dream. But I want you to know that we will all stand before the Lord. And more terrifying than taking a final exam when you haven't been to the first class or read the first page or done the first assignment is when we stand before God and give an account for what we have done for him as his servant when we have done nothing. That's the judgment that awaits us 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you believe the Bible? If I were to say to you, you know, listen, you don't need to worry about that. That verse, don't don't even pay attention to that. Do you know what you would do? You would say, Pastor, your vacation wasn't long enough. It's time for you to go. But the truth is practically in the way in which we live our lives often, we live as if that verse isn't true. But it is. What a convicting, sobering truth. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body. That means in this life, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men, but we're made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your own conscience. Now, what will we be judged for? Well, we're we're told here that we're going to be judged for the quality of our work. How is the quality of our work valued? Well, he gives us comparisons, pictures, imagery that help us understand Uh, He speaks here concerning the quality of our labor in verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. We have two categories here, that which has value and that which, of course, has value, gold, silver, precious stones, and that, that which has little to no value, wood, hay, and stubble. And so we see this valuation of the work. And how is it revealed? It is revealed by fire. The consuming fire of God's holiness tests, purifies, and burns away the dross, leaving behind only that which is of value. And that which is of value endures. But wood, hay, and stubble, worthless things, are consumed because they do not last. As John Phillips wrote, they represent things added to the church that do not belong to it. How much has been imported from the world and incorporated into the church by men? How much considered important is nothing more than the product of human reasoning and carnal religious energy? At Corinth, Paul doubtless had in mind the wisdom of men. Things men thought important to add to the church, but really had no part in vital Christianity. In his letter to the Colossians, for example, Paul attacks intellectualism, ritualism, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, all the paraphernalia indeed of man-made religion and all foreign to the New Testament, Christianity, yet all considered by some as important features of the church so what does he judge us according to? Well, the faithfulness of our labor. Are we faithful to to serve him? Are we faithfulness to build on the right foundation? How about the extent of our opportunity? Not all of us have the same opportunity. But as we're given opportunity, then we must do something with that opportunity. The purity of our motive. Why is it that we're serving the Lord? Is it to be seen of men? Well, he addresses that, doesn't he? In Matthew 6, therefore they have their reward. They're serving to be seen of men. They want the accolades, the approval of men. If that's your motive, then you have your reward the moment that you receive those accolades, but you will not have a reward in heaven for that. Oh, to think that the Lord tests the purity of our motives, the holiness of our conduct. Holiness is his command. He expects it. The selflessness... Of our service sometimes we find it's easy to serve when it's convenient for us or when it promotes our agenda but when it costs us something when it requires us to go out of our way service comes very hard so what is that issue at the judgment seat of Christ is not our position in the family what is that issue is our performance in the family Now, at the judgment seat of Christ, there will will be rewards for some and hopefully for many. Notice in verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. What a blessing. If I have labored faithfully with a motive of purity, if I have selflessly served, if I have tried to live in the context of holiness... If I have sought to take advantage and seek opportunities to serve God and have bought up those opportunities in serving Him, the Bible says that He who reveals my work will reward me for it. The truth is that while God gives us salvation that is unmerited, He never gives us unmerited rewards, writes John Phillips. Rewards have to be earned. We should remember, moreover, that it is to be a judgment seat, not a mercy seat. You see, the mercy seat was at the cross of Calvary for us. The judgment seat will be in the time when we stand before him as saints. So it'll be a time of reward. And we'll be glad to receive those rewards, won't we? I remember as a a child having field day. You remember field day? any of you ever compete in field day yeah i remember field day the first one i can remember maybe the first one i had the opportunity to compete in was in third grade i won the 50-yard dash i got a ribbon when they called my name and they gave me the ribbon that was a big deal to me i think we were won some other events and And the kids in the class who had those ribbons were showing those ribbons off. Now, you know, here's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. We're not going to show those ribbons off. We're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. We'll have nothing to brag about or boast about, but we'll be grateful that we were able to lay something at the feet of Jesus. While there will be rewards for some, there will be regrets for others. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, in other words, if it doesn't pass the test, if it's not gold, silver, and precious stone, if it is wood, hay, and stubble, well, the fire will consume wood, hay, and stubble. He shall suffer loss. In other words, his labor that wasn't pure in motive, that wasn't faithful to God's word, his labor that was designed to promote self, that labor will be consumed. That labor that was not done in the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit will be consumed. And it will burn away. And it will not endure. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, the fire will not touch him. The fire will only touch his work. His work. A sobering truth, isn't it? We're going to stand before God. We see, thirdly, the occupation of the building. You see, once the building has been erected, once it is past inspection, then it's to be occupied. And so there's a reminder here concerning the purpose of the church. Notice it in verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, Now, he's speaking to them as a church. He's also speaking to them individually, and he'll speak to them more in the context of their individual souls a little bit later in this chapter, or in this book rather, not in this chapter. But he's speaking to them concerning the church at large. Know ye not that ye, all of you together, are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You see, the church is the habitation of God through the Spirit. That is exactly what Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 21. And 22, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth up unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye're also builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. The church is the habitation of God. God dwells in His church. We are the body of Christ. He inhabits His body by His spirit. Therefore, you need to understand that the church belongs to him. And therefore, you and I need to be very careful not to do any damage to the church. Not to defile the church. Not to defile it with false teaching. Not to defile it with impure motives. Not to defile it with some reckless ambition not to defile it with some degrading talk or wicked practice or gossiping tongue. You see, the Lord takes his church very seriously. If someone were to walk up to you, sir, and begin to say degrading things about your wife, how would you respond? Well, I know how some of you would respond. That's why I wouldn't do that. Number one, I wouldn't do it anyway, but I certainly wouldn't do it because because I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to receive the blow. The Lord said, if you destroy my church, you need to understand something. I'll destroy you. That's a very serious thing. We live in an age where it's popular. It's praised for people to bring destruction to the church. And they're very clever in how they do it. But they need to understand they're talking about the Lord's bride. The purpose of the church, we are a habitation of God through the Spirit. But then he speaks in verses 18 and 19 of the peril of the church. You see, while the Lord is dwelling within us, occupying this building, there is a peril that we are all subject to be deceived by. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Here is the peril. It is the danger of deception by the spirit of this world. There is within our carnal flesh a desire to be approved of. A desire to elevate our carnal mind and our human reasoning above God's truth. Now, education is not being condemned here. But the pursuit of wisdom apart from God is being condemned here and the danger of it. And this was a danger that was, that was extremely, extremely threatening in Corinth where philosophy was loved some new thing to be taught some new thing to be heard the Bible speaks of those ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth why it is because they have rejected the person of the Lord Jesus in fact the Bible tells us that the natural man that's the man without Christ the man who doesn't know the Lord he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit their foolishness to him and so the world considers the message of the cross the preaching of the cross foolishness But that foolishness that the world sees is the wisdom of God. There's a paradox here. And God views the wisdom of this world apart from Christ as foolishness. And so he warns us of the danger that we could be deceived in embracing the doctrines of the world. And in so many places today you see an interweaving of biblical truth and worldly philosophy. And let let me tell you what it leads to. It leads to destruction. Follow the pattern. And then we note lastly here in verses 21 through 23, the provisions of God for the church. You see, the building's going to be occupied. That's the purpose of it occupied by the spirit but be aware of the danger the danger that we would fall into deception and not be submitted to the spirit but to the spirit of this age and then understand that God has provided something for us here in verse twenty one therefore let no man glory in men now let's go back to the problem what was the problem in Corinth they were divided there was contention what was, the, what was the, 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 the main issue in their contention? Some said, I am of Paul. Others said, I am of Apollos. Others said, I am of Cephas. So they're divided along the lines of personalities. They're glorying in men. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. In other words, why in the world would you be divided by those people? They are not people that you build your life upon. They are simply the provision of God to you. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, would you go there quickly? Ephesians chapter 4, we're talking about the provisions of God for the church. The purpose is the habitation of, of the Spirit. The peril is that they would fall into the trap of the wisdom of this world Then they need to understand, finally, the provisions that God has given to the church. These men are not to be followed and admired to the point of division among God's people. Ephesians 4, verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 11 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So these men were the gifts of Christ to the church. The apostle Paul said, You you fellas, you got all this wrong. You're looking at these men as if you're building your life upon them. No, you're not to build your life upon them as individuals, but you are to understand that they are pointing you to me, or to Christ rather, to the true foundation. They are the gifts of Christ to you. You are not to say, well, I'm I'm Paul, he's my man. If he can't do it, nobody can. And exclude Peter or exclude Apollos and write those two off because you don't like their style. By the way, that's sort of the that's sort of the thing that has characterized many movements in modern day modern American Christianity. We have become followers of individuals. We've been divided along the lines of loyalties to certain institutions and certain types of leaders. Paul said, wait a minute, you're not to be divided by that. You're to understand those aren't the people that you're to follow. They're just simply gifts to you, and in following some, you discount others. And we should not do that. This is what he's saying, because they are gifts for us. They are gifts to us. And what is the purpose of those gifts? Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, they're not here to be praised or to be uh, criticized. They are simply here as my messengers, as my builders. They, They have showed up at work this day to help build my church. They're building you up. You see, if you're going to have anything built, you're going to have to have people come in. You're going to have to have electricians and you're going to have to have framers and you're going to have to have guys who can hang drywall and you're going to have to have plumbers, do I hear an amen? And you're going to have to have roofers and you're going to have to have landscapers. You say, well, I don't like those guys. I mean, I like the framer, but I don't like the rest of them. Well, your house is not going to be finished, is it? sorry I forgot the HVAC it's a sure way to get an amen I mean you got to have the HVAC guys don't you how could you ever overlook them I like that HVAC guy but if there's no structure to put the heat and air unit in then I don't have a house You see, all of these are gifts to us. They're all necessary. Paul is necessary. Apollos is necessary. Peter is necessary. They are yours. Look at the text. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. God has given these gifts to you and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. I don't have time to give a thorough explanation of these verses, but what we see here is the provisions of God for the church. Pastors and leaders, preachers, evangelists, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, choir members, HVAC people, (laughs) plumbers, are gifts of God to the church. And so he says, quit fighting about who your loyalty lies with. Put your loyalty with Jesus. Listen to these people that God has sent to you. Don't discount one because of your preference for another. Don't be divided. Be unified. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account. And may God help us to build with gold and silver and precious stones. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org.